0: You are listening to Sermon Audio from Coggan Avenue Baptist Church. If you'd like to know more about us, check us out online at www.cogginchurch.org. If you have a copy of God's Word this morning, of course, I pray you bring it with you every Sunday. Let's open in it together to the book of John, John chapter 1. We're starting a new series today called Love Came Down, and I'm excited to open God's word with you. I'm blessed to be here for my first sermon officially as your pastor. And what better way to start than celebrating Christ the King coming to earth to live, to die, to rise from the dead so we can have eternal life in Him. It's it's just a great season to start in His Word. I, I love this time of year. Anybody else love the Christmas season? Yeah, I know. I can see it. You know, some of you guys already got those trees up, been up for months. And we love this time of year. I love it when it gets a little colder outside. I know we still live in Texas. We we may not need it, but we start to put on coats, right? Even though we probably just need short sleeves. We may wear a vest. We start drinking pumpkin spice, everything, hot chocolate, everything. We, we, we love this time of year. Well, at least I do especially because the deer start moving around. <laughs> I, mean, I, I like that as well. And all things Christmas, honestly, I, I love it now, and I kind of wish, I haven't always thought like this, I kind of wish we could start celebrating it a little early, maybe even earlier than we do now. Some of you are like, are you crazy? Well, I'm not talking like Hobby Lobby early. right? They started like in June or maybe before that, but I'm talking, it's a little earlier. Again, I wasn't always like that. I, I used to kind of be cynical. I'm not, I'm not going to lie to you, cynical about the Christmas season and thought, you know, in our society today, we're a little Christmas crazy, but that was just because I got caught up in all of the over-commercialized nonsense that goes around. When, when I really start thinking about the incarnation, I love that word, God putting on flesh, when we start thinking about Emmanuel, God with us, I get excited. I want to start celebrating earlier. And, the, and here, here's what happens. The more I understand what God did for me in coming to me, love coming down to me, instead of expecting me to earn my way to Him, the bigger He becomes, the greater He is, and the more excited I get to celebrate the Christmas season. It's like Lucy in that Chronicle of Narnia, Narnia series written by C.S. Lewis. Who, who saw the movie? Who read the books? Well, C.S. Lewis is a great author, by the way. We wrote the Chronicles of Narnia, and you remember Lucy, she had these interactions with Aslan. I was reminded of that this week by a commentator named Kent Hughes. And what's interesting that the older Lucy was, the bigger Aslan, the lion, the Christ representative, the bigger he became. At one point in the story, she looks over at Aslan, this giant lion figure, and he goes, She, goes, she says, You're bigger. And he says, it's just because you're older, child. And she says, not because you are, meaning not because you are bigger. He says, I'm not. But the older you get, the more you grow and the bigger I become to you. Let that sink in for a second. Is that what not happens in in our Christian lives? That's what happens in my Christian faith. The more I grow in him, the bigger he, God, becomes to me. And that's my prayer for us in the the study of the incarnation in John 1 and all the other passages that we look at, that, that the more we grow in our knowledge of exactly how much God loves us and descending to us, the bigger he becomes in our lives and the more we hunger to make it about him. And then the commercialized nonsense, it'll just be a side thing. It'll just be something that you leverage to worship him more. It'll be an opportunity that you take in our society to point more people to him. And this week we begin in our series, Love Came Down, in John chapter 1, that love came down in flesh. Let's read it together. John chapter 1. We're going to read 18 verses this morning about the word, which is God's explanation of himself to us in Christ. But then we're going to really hone in on John 1, 1 through 3, and then verses 14 through 18. Let's stand together as we honor God's Word as we read it. 18 verses, it's going to be good, I promise. John 1, 1, you can read in your copy of God's Word or look at the screen behind me. In the beginning, sounds familiar, right? It's because it should be. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There came a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all may believe through him. Now, he was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. There was true life, which coming into the world enlightens every man. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. But, this is where it gets good, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even those who believe in his name who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. And what happened to this word? Verse 14, while we celebrate Christmas, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory. Glory is the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified about him and cried out, saying, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. For of his fullness we all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. This is God's word. Please be seated. What I want us to see today is as God... Jesus became a man to enable us as men and women to both know God and to become sons and daughters of God through faith in him. So the first thing that John has to establish in this fantastic argument is to prove to you and to me and anybody who reads his book beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus always was and always will be God. This is non-negotiable. This is a theological truth that I will die for. This is a truth that you must be willing to die for. This is something that we have to believe. And so John does a beautiful job of describing it to us. What I love about John's gospel, his story about Jesus' love for us is what I call it. He doesn't start like Matthew and Luke with the birth of Jesus. That's what we think about with the Christmas story, and that's good. He doesn't, he doesn't even start like Mark with the, the ministry of Jesus. Jesus. No, John starts where? Like, way before that. Where does John start? What does he say here? In the beginning. That's a long time ago. Does that remind you of any other passage of Scripture you've read? You're all good Bible students. Where else do we hear this verse? Right. That's where John's trying to take you. All the way back to the beginning, before time began. In Genesis 1-1, it says, In the beginning, God... Created the heavens and the earth. What John is trying to tell us is that guy, the heavens and earth guy, the before time guy, that's the guy I'm talking about. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. This is so familiar to us, sometimes we miss it, but put yourself in the seat of a Jew for a second. You're reading this passage for the first time 2,000 years ago, and you connect the idea of the Word to Jesus Kind of letting the cat out of the bag here. The word is Jesus. We get that right. And you connect that when you first read this. What are you going to do? I mean, this is going to be flabbergasting to you. This is going to be mind blowing so much. So you're going to have to put the book down and ask some questions. Like, wait, what? What did John just say? Did John really mean what I think he meant? And can I answer that for you this morning? Uh, yes, he did. That Jesus always was and always will be god this is a huge point see without jesus being god there is no hope of redemption your sin cannot be paid for and jesus if he did not atone for your sin then he didn't rise from the dead and we might as well all close our bibles today walk out of here and start living life for ourselves yeah it's that important This is one of those issues that the world is trying to get us to compromise on that we cannot compromise on. We cannot deny the divine nature of Jesus Christ. By saying in the beginning, the word is with God, he's not just simply saying that, that Jesus was there in the beginning. He's saying that Jesus participated in creation. Have you ever thought of Jesus as the agent of God in creation? That he created creation? That's what he's saying here. Look at verse 3. All things came into being through him. And apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. Jesus Christ is our creator. You know, Pastor Todd, is this, uh, does this match up with the, the creation account in Genesis? Yeah. Look at Genesis one it It'll be on the screen. What is God saying? He says, let us make man in our image. Did you catch that? That there's a plurality in the Godhead from the beginning of time. That is God, Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, who we're focusing on today, and God the Holy Spirit. John is going through great effort to show you that Jesus Christ is both co-eternal, and he will show us that he's co-equal with God. This is huge. Jesus created creation. If you need more passages of Scripture, you could just go to Colossians chapter 1, maybe one of my favorite chapters in all of Scripture, and look at verse 16 with me. This is Paul speaking. He said, For by him, meaning Christ, all things were created, both in the heavens and the earth, visible and invisible, thrones and dominions and rulers and authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. Then he says in verse 17, something that we miss sometimes, that all things he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Why is this important that Jesus is the agent of God in creation? Why does John tell us that? Just a couple thoughts for you this morning. How about this? If Jesus created you, do you think he intimately knows you? The answer is yes. And if Jesus knows you intimately, do you think that means that you can trust him As much, well, really, more than anybody else that you're intimate with on this earth? Yes, he created you. He knows you. You can trust him. And don't miss what Paul says. He is holding all things, meaning the universe is held together through the power of Christ. Why is that important? If Jesus can hold the universe together, think about that, the universe. Don't you think that he can hold your life together when you think it's falling apart? And sometimes it feels like that at the holidays, doesn't it? Of course he can. I hope this is on time for you because it's on time for me. My family and I, we are separated right now, and I don't love it. But I realized this week, wait a second, Jesus is the one that's holding us together. Not my power, not my strength, not you as a congregation. Man, I love you, but you're not holding us together. Jesus is. And if Jesus is holding my family together and all of us together and the universe together, guess what? Can't nothing come between us. God's got us. And guess what? He's got you as well. And this applies to every situation that you feel like is flying out of control. You just trust Jesus. He's the one that's going to hold it all together. The agent of God in creation knows you, loves you, and wants an intimate relationship with you. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. By this point, we should get the idea that John wants us to know that in the beginning, there was God, and Jesus was there with him. Uh, why does he say that several times to, to make the point that they were both there? To show you that they're distinct. Though they're the same God, they're also distinct from one another. This is an important aspect of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are, yes, one, but they're also distinct and different. They are separate in person. This is how our Father said it. They're separate in person, but one in nature. What we know from here is that God is the Word, Jesus is the Word, and they have existed together for eternity, which flows, if you haven't got it yet, to John's main point. Therefore, almost dot, 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 ellipsis, Jesus is God. This is what he says here. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. If being co-eternal did not make it clear enough to you that John sees Jesus as God, this point, this verse, this phrase should clear up all doubt. He doesn't mince any words. He says Jesus is God. The word was God. He is not kind of like God. He's not a type of God. He is God. Why am I just pounding this? I was like, can I just like, Throw the pulpit over to make a bigger point. I mean, I want us to get this because we have to. Why? Because all the other religions are wrong because they don't believe this. Every cult is created in our society because what they don't believe about the divine nature of Jesus. And yet we're trying to water it down in our society today. Both Muslims and Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses, and I could go on and on and on. You have a Muslim friend? I have several. Your Muslim friends are going to believe that Jesus was just a prophet. That's not good enough, not even close. Your Mormon friends, I have several, are going to tell you that, that Jesus is more like a brother. He's the son of God, and you and I can be sons of God, and then they go to the scriptures. Not enough. Your Jehovah Witness friends are going to tell you that Jesus is just a man. What does John say? the inspired author of God's word, he does not say any of that. He says, Jesus, the word, always was and will always be God. All these other unifying statements that are said in our society, they sound good and they make us feel good because we like to get along and we don't like confrontation, but they're all being used in our society today to water down the Jesus of the scriptures, to water down the gospel so much so that it holds no power into salvation or in your life and we can't let it happen. We have to stand up for it. You're going to hear your Muslim friend tell you that they follow the teachings of Jesus. Maybe your Mormon friend says, well, I'm a Christian, and Jesus is my Savior, and you're Jehovah. They may say all of these statements. You'd be like, yeah, well, I'm a Christian. They want to be a Christian. I follow Jesus, and I follow his teachings. Is it really such a big deal? Can't we just get along? Yes, it's a big deal. The distinction on the divine nature of Christ is something we cannot give. And they're just making these unifying statements to take away from the Jesus that we read about in the scriptures. The Jesus that they're trying to talk to you about in false religions and cults is not the Jesus of the Bible. He's their form of a watered-down Savior that fit their mold of a works-based theology and a works-based salvation. And works will not get it done for salvation. Like, okay, God, I get it. Okay, let's move on. He was with God in the beginning because he was God. All these other false religions, they they use in some kind of corrupted or secondary text that's uninspired. That's why they get it wrong. For example, your Jehovah Witness friends are going to use a corrupted translation of the Bible called the New World Translation, where this verse is translated, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was A God. In their corrupted translation, they insert an indefinite article in this verse that shouldn't be there. And I spent years of my life interacting with people that were trying to tell me there should be an indefinite article in this passage in Greek, and we'd go back and forth, and then I discovered something that's fantastic. Forget about the use of an indefinite article. The language itself that's accepted across the board in this passage is the most definitive proof that you need in this text for Jesus being God. Let's go over it together. Look back at this passage. There are four to be verbs in this passage that are translated was. I'm going to go through, and I want you to underline each one that you find in your copy of God's Word. So in the beginning, here's the first one, was the Word. Underline that. Circle it. And the Word was with God. That's the second one. And the Word, there it is again, The to me verb was God, or the to be verb. And the last one, he was in the beginning with God. All four of these to be verbs are in the imperfect tense in the original language. You're like, okay, what are we doing here? (laughs) This is gold. I promise you, just follow me. The imperfect tense in the original language, which is Greek, carries the idea of continuous, unending action, that is in the past that invades the future oh this is getting good so let's take that idea of continuous action and apply it to this verse and i'll read it together for us in the beginning continually was and therefore will always be the word who's the word Jesus, you can insert his name if you want to, and Jesus continually was, and therefore always will be with God, and here it is, and Jesus continually was, and therefore will always be God. That's how John wrote it, it hasn't been changed since then, and that's how we have to read it and accept it today. Jesus always was, and will always be God. Huge. And because Jesus is God, you have salvation. Because Jesus is God, you can know him. And because Jesus is God, you can have hope for today and hope for all of eternity. Not only do we see that Jesus always was and will always be God, but also this tells us why Christmas is so amazing. Because God became flesh. Look at verse 14 now. The word became flesh and he dwelt among us. And we saw his glory. Glory is of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Love came down not only for your salvation, which is amazing. We, we get a lot of benefit from that now and in eternity. But love came down in Christ to reveal God to us. In verse 14, we find maybe the most fantastic news of all, that this Jesus, who always was and will always be God, came down to us. I love this. This is encouraging for me. In fact, it's sweet to me. Every other religion, or even some religious people, are going to describe a God to you that demands obedience and some kind of sacrifice of morality so that you can earn his favor. It's like rungs on a ladder. False religions are trying to tell you all across our society today, and even some legalistic. Christians, you have to grab this wrong, and you have to find your way, fight your way, and earn your way. If you would just try hard enough, if you could just be good enough, you could get to God. That's a lie. It's impossible. That's not how the God of the Bible tells you it has to happen. He came down to you, not expecting you to come to him. Why? Because you have no capacity to get to God on your own. John knows this. God knows this, that every single one of us will fail and fall prey to sin and will fall back down the ladder every time. You cannot get to him on your own. God coming to us in Christ, I also want you to know, church, is impossible on your own. That's why Jesus came. But I always want you to know God coming down to us, love coming down to us in the flesh was always plan A. Sometimes we we think maybe that was plan B. Like we look at the Old Testament and we see the law. And we're like, okay, we're supposed to perfectly live under the law. But of course, when we didn't do it, that was God's plan A. He came up with plan B and guess I guess i got to send Jesus now. No. God coming to us in Christ to dwell with us, to die in our place and atone for our sin in his blood. It's always been plan A. There's never been a plan B. Without God coming in the flesh, we'd have no hope we would never be redeemed. Because on our own, I realized this week, Todd, on your own, you will always fail. And that's kind of like, oh. But in Christ, which I am, I will always have victory. Oh, the Bible's so uplifting. This term became flesh literally means that God became like us as a man. The technical term is incarnation. We've talked about it already. John is telling us that the divine word put on flesh, and look what he says next. He made his dwelling among us, or he dwelt among us. This New Testament word for dwelling or dwelt takes our minds back to another Old Testament word, which is tabernacle. Do you remember in the Old Testament what the tabernacle was for? It was the place where God's presence dwelt with his people. Now, through Christ, God's presence still dwells with his people today. So Jesus, the the divine word, came and tabernacled among us as mankind. But it wasn't just 2,000 years ago that God was hanging out with us. That's why Isaiah called him Emmanuel, God with us. God is still with us today. How did it happen? Jesus came as an infant, grew into a man, died on the cross, was buried. Three days later, rose from the dead. Many days after that, ascended into heaven. And what did Jesus leave behind? His spirit. So at the moment of salvation, every believer would have God and his spirit in them forever. That means that God is still tabernacling among us today because he's in you today as a believer it also means this that wherever you go now let this sit for a second wherever you go God goes with you whatever you think God knows whatever you do God sees wherever you are God is now that can be both encouraging and a little frightening I get that but that's the reality of God with us and God with us today Through Christ, you are the temple or the tabernacle of God. I love how John calls Jesus over and over here the word in this passage. It's the Greek term logos, and it means the essence of something, the expression of something. This is also what Jesus came to do, to express God and his nature to you. I believe Jesus Christ is the divine self-expression of God in flesh which is why John says here, we saw in Christ his glory. Not just the glory of the Son, but the glory of the Father in the Son. Jesus came in the flesh to reveal God's nature to us. That's what he says in verse 18 here. The last verse we'll look at together. It says, no one has seen God at any time. I mean, even Moses, just right, he just got a glimpse of him. The only begotten God who's in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. not for a preacher, this just keeps getting better and better. I love this stuff. The word for explained here is where we get our English word exegesis. Any of you preachers out there, your professors out there, you love that word exegesis. It's the idea of interpreting something or explaining something. That's what I try to do every Sunday when I preach is to exegete God's scripture for us to enjoy together. What John is saying here, and this is really good, that Jesus is the exegesis of God in the flesh. I'm like pastor, can you can you break that down? Yes. If you want to see God and what he is like and his emotions and his attitudes, look to Jesus. Everything that Jesus is, God is. He's the exact nature of God. Hebrews says it like this in chapter one, verse three, that Jesus is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature. Now, there's lots of things about God's nature that we learn in Christ. I wanna talk about two that are in this passage. God's nature of truth and God's nature of grace that we see on display in Christ. And John picks up on this big time. Can I just tell you this morning that God is truth? And in a world of confusion, what I'm desperately desiring in my life is truth and clarity. The idea of truth can be seen as light. John picks up on this, and therefore the idea of confusion can be seen as what? Darkness. So before Jesus came... And in a world without Christ, there is darkness. And those 400 years between the last prophet speaking and Jesus crying his first breath into this world, there was a 400 years of silence. And in that time of silence, there was confusion. And in that confusion, what was there? Darkness. And the leadership of the day started, started making up more laws and more laws. The religious leaders put more oppression and more confusion and more darkness And that first Time that Jesus cried into this world, light shone into the darkness, truth and clarity came into confusion and through Christ, God's truth is still penetrating the darkness today through you and through me and through his word. God's truth is revealed in Christ. We believe in it, we receive it and we read it through his written word every day. But God is not only revealing his nature of being true through Christ, he's also revealing his nature of grace. John Newton wrote a pretty great song about grace, and he calls it amazing. (laughs) And it is. God's grace is amazing. When, When so many other, in fact, all the other religions of the world are trying to tell you that you have to earn God's favor. You have to do things to get right with God. Does anybody know what the word grace means? means unearned favor. Grace is something you can't go down to Walmart and buy. Grace is something you you, you can't earn. God's favor is something you can earn. It has to be received. Grace is the process of you getting it. This is why Ephesians says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. It's free. You can receive it. It's not a result of works so that no one can boast. But don't confuse free with cheap. Grace is unearned. You receive it. It's free, but it's not cheap. It cost God his son. It cost Jesus his blood, and he paid it to the very last drop. So don't you dare think that grace is cheap, though you can't earn it. It's the most expensive thing in our world. But once you grasp grace, you'll want to obey out of desire. Isn't that interesting how that works? The more you try to earn God's favor the less you'll get it. But the more you know that you cannot earn God's favor on your own, and the more you rely on grace, the more you're going to want to serve him and obey him in your daily life. That's the amazing thing about the gospel. The gospel is not something you achieve. Gospel is fuel that allows you to live a life of obedience and service to him. Grace is such a tender word. And it reflects not only the nature of Christ, but it reflects The nature of God. I think sometimes we think that like God and Jesus, you know, they're almost opposing. Jesus is the nice one. God is the wrathful one. No, everything that God is, Jesus was. So, for example, when Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. We think, oh, Jesus is the good God. God is going to punish me. No, that's the heart of God as well. When Jesus calls himself, I'm reading a book right now called Gentle and Lowly. When Jesus refers to himself as gentle and lowly, guess who is Gentle and lowly. Not in Christ, but God, because Jesus is God. And Christ's love came down to us so that we might have an opportunity to believe and become children of God. And this is the last question I want to leave with you today. It's a simple question. Are you a child of God? Are you a child of God? Maybe you're here today and you say, you know what, Pastor, no, I'm not. I go to church. I like the community. But maybe up until now, you've never believed in the divine nature of Christ. You've never really believed, repented of your sin. If you're not a child of God, I pray that what you would see in John 1 is just how much God loves you, just how far He descended, not just for the world, but for you. And today would be the day that you believe for the first time. We would love to help you make that decision. We have pastor that will be available at the information booth. You can come see me. I'll be right around here at the end of the service. We'd love to help you take that first step of faith. But I'm, I'm willing to wager that most of you that are listening online or you're sitting here today, you say, yeah, pastor, I, I'm a child of God. But I've just lost the awe of the incarnation. You probably wouldn't say it like that. but but I've lost the, the passion for my salvation. I've gotten caught up in the sadness and the depression and the commercialism of the world. Ask God to restore it again. Ask God to make this scripture come alive to you again. See, Jesus came and was born and he lived and died to give you an abundant life, not just in eternity, but here today. So you no longer have to feel lost and alone You don't have to hurt on your own. He's there with you and for you. Maybe during this next song, what you need to do is just ask God to restore your awe in the Christmas season, your awe in the incarnation, to blow your mind again in what he's done for you and him. Maybe for you, you're convicted. You know what? I I need to get serious about my Christmas celebration and leverage the commercialism to get my mind focused on his glory. If you're not doing some kind of Advent study in your home with your children. I just realized this morning that, you know, there's 21 chapters in the book of John, and we got 21 days, if you include today and Christmas, before Christmas arrives. Maybe for you, it's just reading through the, the gospel of John to truly understand who he is that came for you to die in your place and rose from the dead so that you get it by the time Christmas rolls around. Let's make a concerted effort in this series to, to understand how love came down and to grow in our knowledge of him so that we can see him bigger and beaker bigger each scripture that we take together. Let's pray together. God this morning we, we're in a we're in a heavy theologically rich passage of scripture and oh lord it is good and Holy Spirit we pray that you would do your work today and allow this truth of your word to be clear to us and to change us so that we appreciate what you did for us more and more. That, Lord Jesus, we would see you beyond a shadow of a doubt as God in time past and in time future, forever. They would understand what it means that you came to us in the flesh to reveal the nature of God's truth and grace to us. And God, now let us celebrate that in this season so that it, it not only fills us up in our emptiness in this world, but it overflows, Lord, to our children and those around us. And it's in that blessed name of Jesus Christ. We all ask these things, Lord. Amen. Thank you for listening to this episode of our Coggin Church podcast. We exist to make disciples by leading people to connect with God, with others, through service to the world. For more information about Coggin visit us at www.coginchurch.org.